is going to be a great day. It's already been a really, really awesome morning. I'm excited. I've been really excited about this particular series. Uh, it's kind of a way to, right here at the beginning of the year, in a way, start from the beginning. One of the things that as a pastor and just as, as a person, I've seen so many times, so many people, uh, all of us might have this natural instinct in our flesh to want to skip steps, right? Have you ever put a piece of furniture together? If you ever bought from Ikea or if you've ever been up late on a Christmas Eve um, putting together Christmas presents, have you ever tried to skip a step or two and you get to where you think is close to the end and you realize I got to take this whole thing apart because I forgot to put this little piece right here, and it just takes longer. It's much better usually to go step by step. I say usually. My mom always tells this story. My dad was tired of not knowing how cars and engines worked. Uh, he wanted to have, he had this idea. He wanted to fix things himself, so they had this Volkswagen van, and he just took the engine apart. He took weeks and took every piece off, and this was before the internet, so he took notes. This went here, this went here. I'm going to take it apart. I'm going to put it back together. The impressive thing is, is that he did it. The funny thing is, is that there was a whole pile of pieces that didn't make it back into the engine, but somehow the thing still worked. I mean, we're talking about nuts and bolts, right? He didn't, like, forget to put the carburetor in, but there was some nuts and bolts that didn't make it back, and that thing still worked. So there might have been some grace involved in that, right? Thank God that we are believers, and there's grace involved in all of our decisions, and that when we sometimes want to skip a step and even do, then there's grace for it, and we have a God that loves or at least is always willing to course correct. He is always willing to create a new path if we have wandered off a path. He is more than willing to reroute just like that GPS reroutes you when you make a wrong turn, right? We're, all of us, 15, 20 years ago, make a wrong turn, you're out of luck. But we all have GPS now, no problem. It just reroutes you. And sometimes you get lucky and it cuts off time, right? That's happened to me a few times. Or maybe that was because of the speed that I was driving. But it cuts off time sometimes. We have a God that reroutes. Skipping steps is such a natural thing to want to do, but, but, man, there is an order to things. And here at FCG, you always hear us talk about this, or at least say this phrase, home, local, global. We are called to go to the far corners of this earth. We are called to be a light everywhere we step. That's our secular jobs. That means the mall, if there are still malls, right? The one in Gastonia is kind of weird, but if you decide to go axe throwing one night and you go to the mall in Gastonia, then you are a light at that mall, right? We are called to go places. We're called to be a witness, but let me tell you, it has to start first and foremost in your own heart. People can spot a phony a mile away, and it's a lot of phonies that have given the church a bad rap lately. But when there is something that starts right here within you and then outpours and overflows into your home and everybody around you, man, you have every right to go out from there and keep going, right? That is your first ministry as, 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 as a person, right? If you're, a, if you're a married couple, if you're a husband and wife, your first ministry is to your family, right? Uh, and, and even if you're a single person, it has to start right here. And even if you're single, you got family, right? That's your first ministry. Things start right here. 
and then they go out, what that does is you avoid burnout, right? Because you're not going out to give something you don't have. As long as your cup is full, you can pour out water. But once your cup is empty, there's no more water to pour out. And once you're dry, I mean, you got you to gotta take a minute and get a, get a refill. Now, as a believer, you can't be ever empty of the Lord. He is with you, every part of you. But the beginning is your own heart. The beginning is your own home. And when you are taking the life that you're experiencing on the inside personally, and the life that your family is experiencing in your home, and then you take that everywhere you go, there is a difference. There's a difference, and people are drawn to it. And today I want to focus on several verses, but this was birthed from one verse. Remember I told you guys that are doing the year read through the Bible, that if we're all doing this, or a majority of us are, then last week you read the story of Jacob and Esau. And let me tell you, I'm never planning on putting stuff that I read during that study time into my messages, but man, it just keeps on happening. So if you keep on tracking with that read through the Bible, you're going to be on the same page with just about every message probably that I bring. It always happens, but it's happening again is what I'm saying. So you read about Jacob and Esau, and if you don't know the backstory, here's the quick version. They uh, were twins. Their father was Isaac, the promised son to Abraham. So Jacob and Esau were born. I was talking to somebody this morning. They described Esau as a man's man who liked to hunt, and Jacob was a mama's boy. I guess you kind of could describe him like that. Uh, they, that. That is kind of the deal. Um, it's kind of the deal. So Esau was the firstborn, and in that culture and, and in, in, in his birthright was he would receive the largest portion of the father's inheritance. His father was a very Rich man, Abraham, his grandfather, was very wealthy. Uh, you know, Abraham, one of my favorite stories about Abraham is when he's with his nephew Lot. Here's uh, uh, the man that was the friend of God, right? When you're a friend of God, you just know things that some people don't know. And that friendship is, is uh, an invitation to every believer, right? Some believers maybe don't step into that part of their relationship, but you can. You can start right now. And part of the, what Abraham knew because of his friendship with the Lord is that no matter where he went, he would be blessed. And one of my favorite uh, parts of the story is when his wealth really increased in a drastic way. Uh, he, him and his nephew couldn't split the land anymore because there wasn't enough land for all of their flocks and all of their cattle and everything. So they went up to a high point, and Abraham told his nephew, listen, pick any piece of land you want, take your people there, I'll take mine somewhere else, and we just can't split this land anymore. So his nephew just pick the best looking land, the one that looked the most prosperous and the one that produced the most fruit. Abraham didn't mind at all because he knew it didn't matter where he went, he was blessed. So Abraham went to the dry land and it began to produce more than Lot's land eventually because he just knew he was blessed. These are very wealthy people. And Jacob and Esau, Esau was set to inherit his birthright was the largest portion of his dad Jacob's wealth. Not only that, but but something very important, and we probably don't take it as serious as we should, is just the verbal spiritual blessing his dad would have spoken over him that would have just set him up for every open door he would ever need. That would have set him up for just walking in so many spiritual blessings. That was a huge part of a birthright back then. It's a huge part now. We just tend to overlook some of those words we can speak as blessings over 
our children. I hope next week we're going to talk about speaking life. So we'll get back to that. Keep that in mind. Esau goes out for a hunt. He comes back in. And like every single one of us, he had some carnality rise up within him when he got back. His took the form of something we can all relate to, physical hunger, right? That's a carnal desire, right? Not all carnal. Carnal doesn't automatically mean bad. Sometimes as believers, we hear the word carnal, we think sin. Really, that's not what it is. Carnal just means it relates to our physical bodies. As a believer, we know that's not the only part of us. There's a spirit inside of us that lives forever. But in this body, we have carnal desires. In this case, Esau's hunger, a carnal desire, for whatever reason, was getting more attention than anything else in his life. He was that hungry. He gets home, Jacob's made some stew. It's something that Esau likes a whole lot. And he says, hey, give me some of that. And his younger brother, the mama's boy, says, all right, you can have some right now if you give me your birthright. And maybe there was a part of Jacob that thought, I'm just, he was just being like cheeky, right? Oh, yeah, give me your inheritance and I'll give you some soup. Or maybe he was being sneaky. I don't know. His name meant deceiver, so there's a good chance he might have been being a little bit sneaky. But the surprising part is Esau, knowing full well what this means to give up a birthright, says, sure, no problem. You take the inheritance that the firstborn son is owed and that the firstborn son will receive, and I'll eat some stew right now. For something that lasts only a moment, for something that fulfills nothing more than an immediate carnal desire, Esau gave up his inheritance. He gave up the largest portion of his father's land, the largest portion of his father's flocks, the largest portion of his father's money, even the verbal spiritual blessing that Jacob would have spoken over him as the firstborn son. He gave it all up to fulfill a moment of carnality. And here's the verse that sticks out to me and that stuck out to me like never before last week when I read it from Genesis 25, 34. It says, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. And I wouldn't give up anything for some lentil stew. I mean, I don't even have a really good understanding of what that is. But I mean, it doesn't, doesn't sound too appetizing to me. It sounds like lima beans or something. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate and drank and went on about his business, indifferent to the fact that he had given up his birthright. Indifferent, he went about his business, never even thinking, never considering what he just gave up. And let me tell you, there's a lot of us going about our business, indifferent to the fact that our homes in no way, shape, and form are mirroring who we are in the spirit or the kingdom of God. I've been saying this for weeks and I mean it. No matter what your house, the atmosphere is, it's a home of peace. It's a house of joy. It's a house of peace. Just like you are. The Holy Spirit produces this fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, self-control. That's what your body is a body that carries. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's on the inside of you, whether you act on it or not. Your house carries those things, whether your house feels like it or not. And there's too many of us, and our homes do not reflect righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Our homes aren't reflecting self-control. Our homes aren't reflecting faith, meekness, goodness. 
And we go about our business day to day indifferent to the fact that we have given up our birthright. We have given up our rights as believers, what Jesus paid the price for, just to give in to some carnal desires, right? My blood starts bulling, the steam starts coming out of my ear like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, and instead of walking in peace and joy, I explode, I blow up, right? We've all been there. We're giving in, just like Esau gave in to that carnal desire of hunger, we're giving up our birthright of peace and joy to give in to this moment of carnality and explosion, whether it looks like anger, whether it looks like pouting. Lisa says, I get pouty. She goes, well, you're just pouting again? Are you just sitting over there pouting again? I'm like, I'm not pouting. I'm, I'm going to be 40 years old this year. And she's like, you're the poutiest 40-year-old. Come on, stop pouting. Well, all the guys, man, we pout, right? Sometimes we pout. It's okay. We can admit it. We get pouty. I see lots of wives shaking their heads and lots of guys just staring at me like this, not looking at the wives. But sometimes we can get pouty. Sometimes we can get ornery, right? We get that way. I don't know why, but sometimes we give up. We give up so much of our birthright, given into these little moments of carnality that last for just a moment. They last about as long as that stew lasted in Esau. You know what? A few hours after he ate that, guess what? He was hungry again. You know how I know? Because I know. I ate a few hours ago, and I'm hungry again right now. And I didn't eat lentil stew. I ate Panera. I ate all that stuff back there. He was hungry again. Do you know if he just would have exercised some patience, he could have made his own stew? How long would that have taken? I don't know how long it took back then, right? But it couldn't have taken that long. He could have exercised some patience and retained those rights, yet he went about his day indifferent to the fact that he gave up his birthright. Do you know that as a believer, your birthright is called salvation? And in the New Testament, I think I did a whole series on this last year, but here's a quick reminder. The word in the Greek language that you read in English as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the way through the book of Revelation is the word sozo. If you've been a part of the church, if you've been a Christian for 10 or more years, I'm sure you've seen that word around different places, S-O-Z-O. When we read the word salvation in the book of Matthew, let's see, in Matthew 1.21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That word save is the word sozo. In Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that came unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Again, the word sozo. And that word doesn't just mean forgiveness of sins. A lot of times as believers, we stop uh, thinking about salvation any way beyond just forgiveness of sins. And don't get me wrong, that's the greatest gift. To me, it might be the greatest part of salvation because forgiveness of sin is the part of salvation that paved a way between me and God and you and God. The reason we pray and he listens is because of that forgiveness of sin. The reason he is able to make all grace abound to you is because of that forgiveness of sin. But that is not the end and beginning and all of salvation. That word actually has three parts, three things that it means, and it means forgiveness of sins. It means healed from any disease or thing that would come against you, and it means deliverance from your enemies. When we read that word salvation, when we say 
man, do you want to receive salvation? Who in their right mind would say no if they really understood that it meant forgiveness of sins, deliverance from enemies, and healed from our diseases? Well, where is that in the word besides in the one word salvation? All over it. Isaiah 53, 5, written way before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesies, and he says, he was wounded and we were healed. First Peter 2.24 says, By the stripes of Jesus we were healed. In other words, when he was taking that beating on his back, somehow he was taking that and healing our diseases. And of course, we know because Jesus had all authority under heaven and earth, John, 1 John 4.17 says, We are just like him in this world. That means you and I now carry that same authority Jesus carried over every demon, over every principality, over every power. And you know, that is actually our only enemies. If someone is made of flesh and blood and you consider them your enemy, stop that. Stop it. Because it's going to go nowhere. It's going to lead to nothing good. There's nobody made of flesh and blood that is your enemy. Nobody, right? If they got a body, they're not your enemy. Ephesians 6.12, Paul says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Stop wasting your time and your prayers coming against a person with a name and a flesh and blood body, and use your authority to begin to rebuke spirits and rebuke wrong ways of thinking and to exercise your authority over powers and principalities. Because your birthright as a believer is forgiveness of your sins. So get all that guilt and condemnation out of your house, out of this house up here between your ears and out of your physical house where you and your family live. Get that guilt and condemnation out. Don't be walking around indifferent to the fact that your birthright is forgiveness of sins. Get all of that unbelief. Get it out. Because your birthright is forgiveness, right? Stop being okay. Uh, I, I love this story. I love, love, love this story. And she wouldn't mind if I shared it because years ago she gave me permission. But if any of you guys were here a few years ago, you remember the Bruce's, Mitchell and Bernadette. Bernadette was going through uh, a pretty big health issue. And as she was worshiping throughout the week, she said she was meditating on something that was taught here, and she experienced complete healing in her body. Like, whatever this issue was, it was pretty major. Like, she got completely healed. She called me and Lisa and told us we all rejoiced. And then that Sunday, she was worshiping. She was sitting on the second row right here where Frank and Nancy are, and she was worshiping, and she said, as she was worshiping, she had this thought. That same week, a lead from the end of a pencil had broken off in her finger, and it was really annoying. She couldn't get it out. And it was, it was frustrating. And then as she's praying about health that week and declaring healing, she had this thought. Man, you know what, Lord? Forget about the lead. Just if you can heal this other thing, I can deal with the lead in my finger. And whatever reason, that same day, she did experience a major healing in her body. And it was the following Sunday in worship. She lifted her hands up, or one of her hands, and then she felt something fall into her other hand and she reached over she, she squeezed her hand and she looked down and it was that little piece of lead it had just fallen out on its own as she lifted her hands in worship and she just began to laugh and she said how goofy is it that I told the Lord you know I can deal with this little problem here as long as you take care of the big one listen God there's no little or big problems to the Lord they're all taken care of your birthright as a believer 
believer is health. And it doesn't matter if it's a piece of lead in your finger or arthritis in every one of your bones. It is covered by the blood of Jesus. You stop measuring them. Stop thinking, I can live with this as long as this is taken care of. Well, my family's mostly healthy, so I can deal with this one little issue. No, your birthright is health. 1 Peter 2.24 says that whatever health issue you're carrying was healed. You know what we practice at our house? I will literally say, whatever the issue is, is I am healed from that. Jesus, you carried a cough in your own body and healed my cough. Ava, Judah, Jesus carried fever in his body and healed the fever that you're experiencing right now. And it's not like magic words. No, there's this thing called belief and there's this thing called unbelief, right? And we have to cast out unbelief. The word at one point calls it vain imagination. It's vain imagination to walk around okay with health issues in our body when our birthright is divine health. It's your birthright. And how about deliverance from our enemies? Well, I can, as long as I get through the night, I can deal with this anxiety when I wake up. Let me just get to sleep. No, no, no anxiety at night or in, in the day. Not this or that. Your birthright is love that casts out fear. Man, that's the enemies. It's the ones that attack our mind. It's those thoughts, those powers, principalities that would have every place in our mind with a, a flag saying, this is my land from now on. No, we have to cast that out. And would you like to know where that is in the word? Here you go. The violent take the kingdom by force. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard this verse? Matthew eleven twelve. 12. Jesus is talking. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. There's another translation. I think it's New Living. It says the kingdom of God advances forcefully. What is force? Well, we know from science, it's mass times acceleration. There's got to be some movement. There's got to be some on purpose, intentional force. Indifference is not force. Indifference is sitting around saying, well, I'm just going to be okay with this. Esau was indifferent to the fact that he gave up his birthright. And let me tell you, over the years, it ate at him, and it did not go well for him. You can keep on reading that story if you want to know the rest of it. But He was still blessed in the end, actually, in, a, in, a, in an awesome way. But he did not experience the fullness of what he could have. We got to stop with the indifference. We have to cast out the apathy, and we need to go take our birthright back by force. You got to get a little violent sometimes, right? I'm not talking about going out and starting a riot. Maybe there needs to be a riot up here in our own mind. Like, let's rebel against those wrong ways of thinking. Let's rebel against that thing that our body is screaming loud. But the word, you got to turn it up a little bit. Turn this up, turn these thoughts down, and take it back by force. I like this. Get a little bit angry. Anger is not a bad thing when it's used the right way. Man, one of the best pieces of marriage advice my parents ever gave me is my dad read this scripture when Lisa and I were 
the year before we got married and we were doing marriage counseling with all of our parents. Can you imagine that? Man, and my dad would talk about anything and everything. I said, Dad, we're not talking about this. He goes, somebody's got to tell you about it. It was awkward. It was really awkward. I'm getting nervous just thinking about it. I got to get my train of thought back. We were doing marriage counseling, and one of the good things he said was he said, let's read this verse. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. He said, somebody read that to me and your mom the year before we got married, and we decided we were going to stay up late every night and make it right before we went to sleep. He said, I cannot tell you how many nights of sleep we lost because both of us were too stubborn to make it right before the sun came up. He said, let me tell you what that verse really means. It has nothing to do with marriage or making it right. Marriage advice, go to sleep. Eat something and wake up. You won't even care about the problem anymore. You might not even remember it once you get some food and a good night's sleep, right? That's just truth. Take that advice and run with it. Get some food, get some sleep, and calm down. You'll be all right. That verse is talking about being legitimately angry at the enemy for stealing birthright from believers. Being angry, a legitimate anger that we have brothers and sisters walking around suffering when Jesus paid the price for not only the salvation of their souls, but healing for their bodies, deliverance from our enemies. Sometimes within ourselves, we're not seeing this full victory, but we sit around indifferent. And Jesus said, no, get angry at the enemy. Get violent. Take it back by force if you have to. It's that important. It is that important. That's going to mean something different in every situation. For me, about a year ago, you guys, most of you know this story, but I'm pretty sure, I mean, I, I twisted my ankle pretty good. It might have been broken. It was bad. And Lisa and I were flying out two days later to lead worship at our friend Ashley and Carly's healing conference called The Cure. And I had this picture in my mind for 20 seconds that I was going to be in some kind of boot leading worship at the healing conference. And my friend Ashley, in his posh British accent, I had a dream about it. He's like, I'm sorry, bro. I can't have you on stage leading worship and all this unbelief. Got to get you off stage. And I'm like, we're backstage in my dream, cutting this boot off of my ankle. And I was limping like Patrick Mahomes last night, leading the Chiefs with like a hurt ankle. I was limping onto the stage, playing music, and my ankle was hurting. And I had that thought, and I dreamed about it that night. But before I dreamed about it, I did something else. I got back to my house because I was walking down the street. This was such a ridiculous, like, man thing. You know, like, sometimes you have man problems. You know no woman would ever have this problem. Judah and I picked up these giant tree branches that had fallen off at 11 p.m. at night. And we were seeing who could carry the heaviest one down this massive hill by our house. And we were going to throw them into the woods. We were kind of cleaning the yard up. But it was late. It was dark. And we were running. And I was wearing these big Doc Martin boots. And my foot went into a pothole. And that's what happened, right? No lady would ever have had that issue. That was me and Judah trying to show off, right? His, his testosterone's at an all-time high. If y'all have any... Uh, in any way, you know, to like slow this process down. He spends, he spends 10 hours a day telling me, you know, I can throw a football farther than you now. You know, I can throw a baseball faster. I'm like, Judah, there is no way. Anyway, side note, that's beside the point. But here's what happened that night. I wasn't going to lay down and just sit indifferent to the fact that Jesus paid the price for whether it was sprained or broken or whatever. He paid the price. So I'm not telling you that you should do this. I'm just telling you what I did. I walked up and down my street for a good hour 
probably until midnight. And every time I took a step and it hurt, right, the pain is telling me, sending me signals of unbelief, your ankle is hurt. Even if it wasn't broken, the pain hit me every step by saying, your ankle's broken. And I'm telling you, if I said it once, I said it a thousand times because I said it every time I took a step. I said, Jesus, you healed my ankle on the cross. You healed this ankle on the cross. You were wounded and I was healed. You were wounded and I was healed. For an hour, I combated every thought I had of unbelief with what the word says, does my ankle is healed. It didn't feel 100% better when I went to bed that night. It felt a ton better. And every time I was laying in bed and I'd wake up and feel a little bit of pain, I would just begin to pray and declare the word. And the next morning when I woke up, it was way better. And by the time we flew to Colorado, it was like it never happened. It was awesome. That's how I did it. And honestly, it was a little bit violent. And Lisa kept saying, what are you doing? Like, come inside. Just go to bed. I was like, no, I'm walking this off. That's a thing, right? We say it in the natural, but then we say it in the spiritual. And we're like, well, that's kind of weird. How many times have you been hurt playing a sporting event? You know what your dad tells you? Walk it off. That makes zero sense. I just got hit by a pitch in the ribs. It's all right. Walk it off. My ribs really hurt. Walk it off. Jog the first base. Actually, don't even walk it off. Jog it off. Right? We say it in the natural. And then, like, you get spiritual about it. And it's kind of like, I don't know. That's kind of weird. Why? Combat. All those thoughts of unbelief violently with the word, if it's violent. That was in a way violent. It hurt every time I took a step. Only for a while, though. And I didn't have to tell Ashley that I was going to lead worship with a hurt ankle at the healing conference. I was very happy. You know, James 4-7 is an awesome verse. And if you're a Sunday school kid growing up, you probably quoted it. Several times, it's a great one for Sunday school. Some of you might know it by heart. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is one of those verses that, take this for what it is. If we really, really believed it, we'd act on it and we'd see results. Right? If we really, really believed it, then in a moment of temptation, instead of giving in, we would submit to the Lord, resist the devil, and we'd watch him flee. There's not one believer out there, not, I don't think there's one person in this room that would say, no, I'm completely okay with the devil coming to me, tempting me, and falling to it. No, we, we want to resist the devil, right? Everything inside of us, we know he's out for one purpose. It says in the book of John, to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, I guess that's three purposes, right? But we can lump them all into one category. He's out for your destruction. He's sitting in front of us, and we remain at times indifferent to the fact that we're giving him place. Submit to God, resist the devil. That's the force that it's talking about. That's the kingdom of God advancing sometimes violently. Resist the devil. Sometimes it takes a little bit of effort. Sometimes it takes a little oomph. Submit to God, resist the devil. I'm going to tell you the best way to do that. The best way I can think of to submit to God, resist the devil, and watch him flee is something we've all put into practice here in the last couple hours. Praise. Thanksgiving is what I think the best way to do step one and two of seeing the devil flee, which is submit to God, resist the devil. First of all, praising is a literal command throughout the word. 
I mean, it is a command. In fact, there's times in the Old Testament when the Lord told the children of Israel, if you don't thank me during this time, you're just going to put yourselves under a curse. Like, just thank me and resist all this stuff. It is a powerful tool. It's a command. And as you praise, which is what? Thanksgiving, expressing thankfulness to the Lord. What are we going to be thanking him for as believers? Well, we can start with salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven my sins. Thank you that you have healed all diseases. Thank you, God, that you have given me deliverance from my enemies, authority, all authority in heaven and earth, just like Jesus had. That's resisting the devil. What does that mean? What does it look like when he comes at you and says, look at your health. Look at your body right now. There's something wrong. There's an infection that hasn't gone away. There's a broken bone. There's arthritis. There's whatever it is, whatever the doctor says, whatever is actually really there in the natural. I'm not saying it's not there. It's there in the natural. But as we submit to the Lord through praise, even in the middle of maybe we don't feel like it, right? Well, I'm still seeing this problem. I don't feel like praising right now. I don't feel like being thankful. I'm experiencing all this pain in my bones through arthritis. But in the middle of it, we praise, we submit to God, we resist the devil. Thank you that even though my bones, my own bones are telling me I'm not healed of arthritis, there's something that is truer than my own thoughts. And there's something that is truer than the actual pain I'm feeling in my own bones. And that is 1 Peter 2, 24. This says, by the stripes of Jesus, this arthritis was healed. That's Isaiah 53, 5 that says, he was wounded and I was healed. That's Isaiah 54, 17 that says, no weapon formed against me will prosper that is resisting the devil. And what does the word say? He will flee, right? He will flee from you. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What well, if the pain comes back an hour later, a day later, two days later? Keep going. Keep going. Force, mass, times acceleration. Keep moving forward. Keep building up that force. Keep resisting. I promise you, he's going to get tired of attacking you way before you get tired of resisting him. So many of us have never even got to the point when we are resisting actively. Fight it. Fight it. The battle for your healing is a done deal. Jesus paid the price. Salvation, sozo. The battle for your forgiveness is a done deal. Jesus paid the price. So that means don't go out acting like you're the unforgiven. Don't go out there living like crazy. Don't go out there doing all the things you know you shouldn't be doing. Because that's just stopping you from taking steps forward in your relationship. And it's keeping you down. Resist it. Resist. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee. Do not walk around indifferent to the fact that your house and the atmosphere in that house, the atmosphere here in this house, between right here, where you think, where your thoughts are, do not be indifferent to the fact that it doesn't look like the kingdom. Jesus would not have told us to pray on earth as it is in heaven if that wasn't something that was actually possible for the believers. Can you imagine Jesus saying, pray for this, and then kind of laughing with the Lord? <laughs> They're going to be asking for this, and we're never going to give it to them. Can you believe this? It's going to be hilarious. That's not the God I know. That's not the Savior I read about in here. When he said, pray for it, and you're going to receive it, he meant it. And he said, pray on earth as it is in heaven. Here's a strong statement. You've probably heard me say it before. I'm going to say it again. But if something doesn't belong in heaven, it doesn't belong on earth. And if you want to see that not on earth, you have to start within yourself. And then in your home. And then everywhere you walk. 
like a light in the darkness, casting whatever it is out. I tell you, there's not one person out there, not one evangelist that operates in the gift of healing that didn't at least first see or sense some revelation within themselves. you got to have a revelation on it. Now, on the other hand, I know people that see lots of miracles and themselves have dealt with physical issues. So what happens when things like that aren't lining up? You just keep going. You just keep going. You just keep going. You keep declaring the word. Because when we don't see something in the natural, it doesn't mean it's not true. It just means there's a natural thing out there. And for whatever reason, even though this is way truer, we're not seeing it. Just keep going. I believe you'll see it. Just keep going. Don't be indifferent and think, well, things are pretty good when you can live in abundance. Don't think, well, it's all right, I got my bills paid this month. What about somebody else's bills? Right? You're not the only person in this world. That's kind of a self-centered way of thinking. That's why I have a problem sometimes when I hear people talking about Christians being prosperous. I know there's people that have abused things like that, right? But that's none of my business. All I'm saying is if you think that believers are supposed to live out there with barely enough for themselves, you would be, I think, maybe in the category of a self-centered believer because you're not the only one out there. And if you know somebody that's in need and you're only interested in God supplying needs for your own self, that, that, you're kind of stuck in your own little world there. But you know, I got neighbors that need help. There's people in this room right now that need help. There's people down the street that need help, Right? As a church, I know we have a revelation on this. I believe that. I, I've seen it. I mean, I've seen that with my own eyes. But let's keep going. Let's not stop. Let's not even stop where we're at. That's why I always say this. I want to be the church, and we will be the church one day that gives away 90% of everything that comes in. 25% is awesome. But guess what? There's still a lot of people that need help we haven't got to yet. So why not just get to the point where we can give 90% away, and then why not just all of it? And then like, Lord, you're going to take care of us? Oh, we're, we have nothing left. Why not? I don't know. Why not? Why not? First, uh, first Philippians 4.19 says we're blessed according to his abundant supply, his riches. Guess what? His economy is not made up of U.S. currency or euros or whatever else kind of currency is out there. Right? The word doesn't actually never say that he's going to give us money. Some people pray for money. And God's like, I don't know why you're praying for that. I never told you I'd give you money. But the Bible says he gives us the power to get wealth that we may establish his covenant upon the earth. In other words, you got talents. you got time. The Bible says whatever you put your hand to will prosper. Put your hand to something. Watch it prosper. Right? Plant some seed. Watch your harvest prosper. And then watch the Lord take care of you. But then take you to a place when you see a need and you can meet it every time. Tell me one need Jesus didn't meet that he came into contact with. The few times he didn't meet a need, it says it's because of the people's unbelief. They had seen a lot. In his hometown, here's what they had seen, a little boy growing up. In his hometown where it says he couldn't perform many miracles, they'd seen a little boy with, I don't know, dirty knees, holes in his clothes from playing, falling down, being goofy. They saw they might have gone to his birthday parties if they had birthday parties. I don't know. But here's what they saw in his hometown. They saw Jesus of Nazareth. This kid grew up with my kid. 
So then when he shows up on the scene, they say, this guy's the Messiah. What they had seen said, no, that's just Jesus. And he wasn't able to do many miracles. Belief. If they had casted out that unbelief and said, wait, okay, yeah, that's Jesus, but, I mean, they're saying somebody's eyes opened up that was blind. They're saying somebody's withered hand stretched out and it became whole. They're saying that he raised the dead. Maybe, maybe this kid that I grew up with is a little bit more than just Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe he is the Messiah. But because of the unbelief in their life, they were indifferent to the fact that he was the Messiah and they didn't see the miraculous. If you've been wondering where the miraculous is, maybe you've become indifferent. Maybe you've just become used to seeing all the stuff in your life go wrong. You've been used to the health problems. You've become used to living in poverty. You've become used to only being able to barely pay your own bills. You've become used to this. But this is a call. This is an invitation to take that birthright back, to not live indifferently, to not live just okay with making it, or in some cases okay with not even making it. This is an invitation. And if you're hearing it, man, you just got to say yes. And then forcefully, violently, the word is in the King James, submit to God, resist the devil. He will flee. And when the pain is screaming loud, scream back. You don't own me. You don't control me. I've been healed by the stripes of Jesus. When the poverty is screaming loud, here come the bills. It's almost the first. How are you going to pay him? Scream loud back. And maybe you don't want to freak out your kids. Scream when they're in school. Scream in the car. You know you scream in the car plenty of times. Scream at the right stuff. Right? The violent take it by force. The kingdom advances forcefully. I'm ready to see the kingdom in every part of my home. Every moment of my home. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. I like Andrew always says this. Am I telling you I've arrived? Am I preaching to you from a place of arrival? Nope, but I'm on my way. We can all go together. We're on our way together. It's a journey. I'm not going to sit around indifferent to the fact that I'm not living in the victory that is my birthright. Sozo salvation. If you've never heard that before, etch it into your brain. It's written all over your heart already. Etch it into your brain. It is forgiveness of sins. Get that guilt and condemnation out. Don't give in. Don't give in. Forgiveness of sins, healed from your diseases, and deliverance from your enemies. Man, that's good. And isn't it just like a father to not just want us blessed and prosperous in one area, but wanting us blessed and prosperous in every area? I heard this song, it's, it's, it's a beautiful song, but I don't, I don't know if the guy's a believer or not, but he's singing to his kid, and he's like, he, he uses the word wish, right? Sometimes I hear it, and I'm, I'm thinking about prayer, but he's like, I wish upon you good times, I wish upon you a prosperous life. And in the second verse, he's like, I wish upon you hard times, right? And I get kind of what he's saying, because people are like, you got to go through something hard to find out what you're made of, or you got to go through something hard to raise to, to do whatever like I get it and, and here's the truth we live in a world where hard things will face us I get it but as a father man I don't wish that on my kids I don't want them to go through the hard stuff they're going to just because they live in a fallen world someone's going to mistreat them eventually but thank God they have the Holy Spirit inside of them that's their com that is their comfort when that happens that still produces joy and peace in their life when that happens 
right? It's like I, don't, I would never wish this upon them. But thank God that what is inside of them is going to rise up in those occasions. Isn't it just like a father to know my kids are going to be faced with every one of these issues while they're here in this plane of existence. But I'm going to give them a way out of every one of these problems. Forgiveness of sins, healed from your diseases, deliverance from your enemies. Thank you, Jesus. He's that good. Our Father is that good. He wants us prosperous, spirit, soul, and body. Every part. Our mind, our body, and of course our spirit, which we know is 100% Holy Ghost. Amen? I'm going to invite the band up as we close. Excited about next week. Next week we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, speaking life. It's going to be awesome. So many times we get indifferent to the words that are come out of our mouth. And we wouldn't be if we could see them for what they are. If our words were gathered in glass jars every day, and at the end of the day, we looked at this stack of glass jars and we could see the nasty ones. I like to picture them as, uh, if you're from the South, you know exactly what this looks like. I picture them like a little dip cup. You ever seen someone that carries dip around? They spit it out all day. I know that's gross. But what if every negative word you spoke looked like a nice jar of your grandpa's tobacco cup? And you pot them all up on the wall next to all the good words, which look like beautiful, bottled spring water, bottled at the source, whatever that means, you can't be true but if you could see your words at the end of the day it would drastically change what every one of us are saying and then if we realize those jars were opened up and the contents were released into our homes every day and every night into our ears into our children's ears from their ears down into their heart ooh, it would change so much about what we're saying so we're going to talk about that next week. This week, man, if you can leave here with anything, leave encouraged that if you have been indifferent to not living your birthright as a believer, that can change right now. It is a moment-by-moment choice. It's a moment-by-moment choice. My dad told me when he counseled addicts, he would never, ever say, okay, you're never going to do this again now as long as you live, because that's too long. And he would never say, okay, now we're going to go for a month without giving into this addiction. It's too long. He would never say, hey, we're going to go a week now without giving into this addiction. He would not say we're going to go the rest of the day without giving into this addiction. He would say, right now, in this moment, you're experiencing victory over this addiction right now in this moment and when you leave this moment there'll be another moment you have to make the choice in this moment to be free that's what this is like right we can sit here inspired and say as long as i live i'm never going to be indifferent again to the fact that i have a birthright and i'm not walking in it no right now right now in this moment we can stand we can praise with the band we can submit to god and resist the devil through praise right now and right now in this moment, we can begin to experience the atmosphere of the kingdom. We can begin to experience the freedom that comes with forgiveness of sin. 
we can begin to experience the freedom and, and health and healing in our bodies clarity of our mind we can begin right now to experience freedom from any enemy that would come against us whether it's called addiction fear anxiety whatever it's called right now in this moment so let's stand together let's respond to the word by experiencing right now taking our birthright back by force submitting to God resisting the enemy and watch him flee right now in this moment amen